We have been in a series, Revival. What is it? And we have this uh, shovel to try to perk our remembrance of what it is. It's, it's digging out that sand from that well or whatever may be in. So that fresh water can come up so that it can be bursting within our souls. And today, I want to preach on obedience. And if we are going to have revival, it has to start with being obedient to the Word of God. Pastor Mike preached last week on getting back to the Word. And if revival is to start, we must have resolve for this. There's a lot of reasons people are obedient. What is your motivation? But I want to start with an illustration. Watched a documentary a few months ago on these children that would, I think it was Sarajevo, they would go to school and they'd have to walk through areas that were filled with landmines. And they had pretty much a path cut out, but certain times of the year, if it snowed or there was winds, uh, fog, different things, it was hard to see the path. So they had to know the path. There's 110 million landmines in the world today that have not been taken care of, that many people have to walk through them. I want us to think about our sin being that landmine. And our journey in this life, we will have to journey through landmines every day. In that, in that uh, documentary, they said, there's several ways you can get out of that minefield where you're at. One was turn around and retrace the steps that you took to get back to where you needed to go. Kind of like revival, right? When you were saved, you're on fire for Christ. A second way was since landmines activate, sometimes on a second step, go ahead and retrace your steps, but also they had a way of taking your backpack possibly in a rope and going ahead of you a little bit and hitting it a few times and then going ahead and going ahead. The third one was if no one is around, just get on your knees and crawl backwards. It's better that your feet be taken off than your head be taken off. That's kind of crazy. I added a couple. My way, I want a helicopter to come in and pick me up. That, that's going to be my way of doing it. Or maybe the helicopter could drop me a map and show me how to go through those landmines. So those were my two ways that I wanted to get out. I didn't want to do any of those other ways. But sin is just like a landmine waiting to take us out. And it doesn't matter if you're a friend or a foe. If you step on it, it's going to take you out. We have been given a map to navigate this life in the word of God. We've also been given a helicopter through the Holy Spirit to indwell us and a community of believers around us to help us see where those landmines are. When I was a kid, I remember being told by my parents that I needed to obey. Now, 
there were several different reasons my parents gave me as to why I needed to obey. Three that I remember, and there maybe was more, but they didn't want me to get hurt. Don't run in the street. They wanted peace in the house. If you don't hit your brother, we can have peace. Nothing about my safety because I was going to whoop that, you know what? It's his safety. But the third reason was because I said so. I didn't need to know the reason. I just said so. Now, there was three responses I had to my parents. The first one was I obeyed because I didn't want that spanked. And my parents would spank with a belt. And I knew how bad that hurt because my dad would do it in anger. I didn't want that. So, so a lot of the time, that's why I obeyed. There was another reason, though, that I would obey sometimes. It's because I wanted to get something. Like, if you do this, we'll go get ice cream. Okay, fair enough. I'll do that for that. The third reason was I obeyed because I loved my parents. Now, to be fair... That reason was probably very small, very small. But as I grew, hopefully that grew in percentage of why I obeyed them. But to be honest, when I started out, it was pretty much I didn't want to get spanked because my parents rarely used the ice cream, rarely. From the beginning, though, we see God commanding humans to obey. Genesis 2, 15 says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will help, make a helper suitable for him. You see, every day when Adam and Eve woke up, they had a choice in front of them. The, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was in the middle of the garden. He didn't put it on the back 40. He put it right before them every day. And they had to make a decision that they were not going to eat from it. Now, that was an easy decision till someone was tempted. You see, we must make a decision. We are going to obey God before we have a choice put in front of us. We must make a decision that we are going to obey God before that choice is put in front of us. We must have resolved. Look at Noah's life. He was told to build an ark. It took him years and years and years on dry ground he was going to build it. It hadn't rained and God said, it's going to rain and you're going to need this ark for your safety. He chose to obey God and look like a, fuel, a fool to the culture around him and to the society at large. What are you doing? But he obeyed what God says. Genesis 39, we have the story of Joseph. 
Joseph was sold into slavery to an Egyptian who worked for Pharaoh, captain of the guard Potiphar. Potiphar was fairly well-to-do that he could have this slave. Joseph worked great for his master. He was one of the best workers that Potiphar had. And Potiphar put him responsible over his whole house. Even though he was a slave, he still worshipped the one true God. Skip down to verse 6 in that story. And the text tells us that Joseph looked like me, that he was well-built and very handsome. (laughs) I don't know why we're laughing. That was not a joke. So here is a slave, and the slave owner's wife wants to sleep with him because he looked like me. He has an opportunity to go against what God wanted. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Listen to what verse 8 says. But he refused when she came on to him. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife, how then could I do such wicked thing and sin against my God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her when he could have. He had made a resolve in his heart that he had a decision he made before the choice was put in from He had that resolve. That decision had been made previously, probably before he was a slave, that he was not going to defile himself and go against God. Joseph actually gave her an explanation of why he could not sleep with her. She did not take it. You see, Joseph took Potiphar's authority seriously, but he even took God's authority more seriously because he said, I am not going to sin against God in this. Joseph had made a decision before he had a choice. He paid a high, high price for his obedience. She accused him of rape. He went to prison for years and had done nothing wrong. God, where are you? I did the right thing. How can this happen to me? I serve you. And I'm in prison for false rape allegations against me. A lot of times when something good happens in our life, we say, but God, look at God. We usually don't hear it when something bad happens. But when we look at this story, we can only say, but God, look at God Because this story has a wonderful ending of Joseph saving a whole nation 
His own brothers that sold him into slavery, he is able to save them from starvation. Look at God. Use something that man wanted for evil, but God used it for good. We don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. In Genesis 45, Joseph's brothers come to him, don't even know it's him, and he gives them sacks of food. Later on, they figure it out because he reveals himself to them. And he said, listen, don't be shameful on this. I know you did wrong, but God got me where I needed to be with my obedience. Listen to what he says. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. God got him where he needed him to be through really bad circumstances, false accusations, in prison. But God rewarded that obedience. Now, we may not understand why we're going through what we're going through, but God calls us to obedience just like my parents called me to obedience, obey because I said so. We cannot try to always see the end of what God's doing. We have no concept all the time of what he is doing on this earth. So walk in obedience no matter what it costs you. It's a must. Joseph had a resolve that God was his ultimate master. Joseph made a decision to obey before he had a choice. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And many of us will say, yes, I love God. That's great. And I really hope you do love God. But why do you love God? Is it what you can get from him or out of him? Or is it because you genuinely love God? God. You see, motivations do matter. And I know when we're young in the faith, we may not have the proper motivations, but as we grow in God's likeness, I hope that our motivations will be right. Are you growing? Are you where you were five years ago? Because if you are, that's not growth. Are you where you want to be? Maybe not. But do you see growth in your obedience to God? We need revival to get us back to where God is our master and we do not have a divided allegiance with this world. God will not let any of us be double agents in his kingdom. He's not a part-time God. He is a full-time God when he asks for our obedience some of us have just some old sin patterns that creep up into our life and are in a direct contradiction to holiness. And we justify them. Take, for instance, lust, which is an intense longing. Could look like you just fantasize about your coworker. Could be you watch porn. Maybe your mind has made that a happy place for you. You think about someone else other than your spouse. Lust is one of those things that God hates. Take, for instance, greed. 
What do your decisions tell you about yourself and how they affect your family and your community? Do they come before you're working too much? Does the decisions you make only count in your bank account? Take, for instance, pride. Social media plays a major role in this, in, in vain glory. We think we're smarter than other people. We think we're more beautiful than other people. It's what took Satan down. Pride. Do you look down upon others because you're better? Take, for instance, anger and wrath. Do you want to take vengeance? Someone who has hurt you. Does it feel good to see them get their up and comings? They just open that can. It's rage. It's impatience. It's self-destructive. I think about the Hatfields and McCoys, if you know that old story. What about sloth? Laziness. Without care. No strong desire for anything. This is sin. You don't want to work. Doesn't even have to do mainly with work. You could be mentally lazy. You could be spiritually lazy. You could be physically lazy. God has given us purpose in this life. Do you direct your will to God's purpose in your life or are you lazy? Envy. You believe you deserve what everyone else has. You covet what your neighbor has. You value others' portions in life. This sin can sever relationships with your neighbor because you're always looking at them, man, look what they have. They have more than I do. With your family, it can sever the relationships. When you have envy built in, that sin that can grip you and you want. Take, for instance, gluttony. And overindulgence, and that doesn't have to be just with food. It could be with drink. It could be with wealth. Do you overindulge while your neighbor goes hungry? Do you squander what you have? Are you wasteful with it? These are sins. God has given us all things to steward for him. These are not our own. And how do we treat them? Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Do we follow Proverbs 6, 16 through 19? There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick, to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. What does that say about you? Arrogant eyes, pride. Do you look down upon others? Better than them? Lying tongue, it says. Speaks falsehoods. Embellishes truth. One way or the other. Hands that shed innocent blood. Murder. Now, 
Don't get that twisted. Probably all of you, well, maybe not all of you, but most of you in here have not committed murder. But the New Testament says if you are angry and you hate your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. How does that fly in your face now? Flies in my face. I have hated. A heart that devises wicked schemes. No resistance to sin on that one. You just dive straight into wickedness. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Remember those landmines? You don't even care. You're just running. A false witness who pours out lies. If you ever accuse somebody of something that you knew was a lie just to get yourself off the hook, That's happened in our history, hasn't it? Stirs up conflict in the community. Are we striving for unity within the body? Are we striving for unity in our community? Because a lot of us aren't. We're divisive. Pick a side, any side, as long as it ain't my side because I want to fight. God hates these things. So how do we grow in obedience? We must get back to the word and know what it says. We must be meditating on the word of God. We got to know what God wants out of our lives. You see, feelings won't cut it. Well, I feel I need to do this. I feel I need to do that. What does the word of God say? Because your feelings will change. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have to get back to the word. And as a pastor, I have a grave responsibility Pastor Charles has a grave responsibility. Pastor Mike has a grave responsibility that we are teaching the word to you. Your pastors are there from God to equip you to do the works of God. Listen to Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for good works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is heavy and weighty on us as pastors. But it's also heavy and waiting on you to receive the word of God to yourself and be obedient to it. God wants us to mature while we are on this earth. James 1.22 says, we're not just to be hearers of this word, we are to be doers. And doers means you're walking in obedience to what God wants you to do. It's not just staying away from things, it's actually doing things also. And walking in those obedience. So what does God want us to do? Matthew 22, 7, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, this has a vertical and horizontal effect. If you are not right with God, this one will not be right. And we'll get all messed up. We have to be right with God and living according to God before we can actually really love our neighbor well. And what looks like love a lot of times is not even love, it's selfishness, so we feel good about it. Wrong motivation. So what does the Bible say about love? 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always persevere. Love never fails. Are you loving your neighbor in that way? Ephesians 5. I'm going to read this passage because I believe the word of God, as it pours over us, is more powerful than anything I could say in my wisdom. So listen to this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such as is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. And listen to these words. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. We need revival. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music 
from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we are to live. God has grace because we all fail. But that's why I need you around me. That's why you need me around you. That's why I need this word every day so that when I do, I can give you grace and you can give me grace and point me back to the scripture. I need the Holy Spirit to remind me of whose I am. I am Christ's. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I need to glorify God with my body. Pastor Mike preached a uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians a couple weeks ago about putting on the whole armor of Christ. We need that armor every day or we will fall. You see, at the beginning of this message, I talked about three reasons my parents wanted me to obey. Ultimately, the last one is the one that really counts because God tells me to. He wants us to obey. We may not always see what he's doing with our obedience, nor are we owed that vision, but he wants us to obey him out of love. But we know by reading the scriptures that God is good, right, and perfect, and he does not have our ill will to us, has no ill will to us. You see, when my children were growing up, I asked for their obedience without telling them why when they were just this little. As they grew up, I divulged more of why. They were too immature to understand why. But as they grew and matured, I explained to them because I knew they would have children. And I wanted them to be able to teach their children of why you obey. I conditioned them to trust me because I wanted to be a good father and I wanted them to trust me. And I wanted them to obey immediately. And as Ruth always said, sweetly, it wasn't my words, but I was more about the immediately. That's why it's good to have a good wife. But I wanted to save their life. I didn't want them running the street. When I say stop, I didn't want to have to count to one, two, three, and they're already in the street. That's not obedience. That's delayed. And, and partial obedience is not obedience. It's full obedience. Debated whether going off on this tangent, but maybe I will. Um, parents, some of you try to set your households up so that your children do not have to obey you. When I told my child they could not have a cookie, that meant they couldn't have a cookie. I didn't have to hide that cookie. I put that cookie jar on the counter. It was their job not to get in that cookie jar. Now you say, well, you put temptation before them. God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil right in the middle of the garden. He didn't have to do that. I wanted my children even if they saw something that I told them, no, you do not do that. I wanted obedience out of them. I didn't want to keep them from having to obey. I wanted them to obey. 
Ken Genova. In the same way, we have got to make a decision before we have a choice. That we have the resolve that we are going to obey God no matter what. But we don't do this perfectly. And that's why we need a Savior. And that's why we go out on these streets and evangelize. Because our neighbors need a Savior. What does the Bible say about what we have been commissioned to do in Matthew 28? It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them. That's what discipleship is. Teaching us who God is and what he is like and what he expects out of us. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, I don't need to just be obedient for me. I need to know what obedience looks like so that I can witness to my neighbor, so that I can witness in my community and see someone come to faith. We will give an account, as Hebrews 13 says, to God for what we do. So we must be people of this word. You see, I'm finished. We must be people of this word. I am so glad that Jesus Christ obeyed the Father, came to this earth so that he could die for the sins of mankind. He could die for my sins could he have been disobedient to the Father? It's a rhetorical question. I'm not going to get into that debate. Can God make a stone that he could not lift? He's all-powerful. He came to this earth in obedience to his Father to die for the sins of those he loved. Satan wanted him dead. But God worked it out for good because of what Jesus did in his obedience. It looked like a failure, but we know the story. He came to this earth, died so that our sins could be forgiven. Because if you remember what God said, God was old school. He said, the day you eat from that tree, you will surely die. He didn't, there was no mystery what was going to happen. He said, you're going to die. And that's what happened when Jesus came to this earth. He died so that we could be forgiven. He didn't sweep sin under the rug. He just didn't turn a blind eye to it. No, he actually took it to the cross. Jesus had, had, took your lust, took your greed, took your gluttony on himself to the cross and paid for those sins. And that's why the gospel is so beautiful because you don't have to pay for those sins. That's why we need to evangelize. Because people without Christ will be paying for their sins. And if we love our community, we will tell them the good news of what Jesus did. And seek to walk in obedience to it. He rose again. Victory over sin, death, and hell. 
And that's why we stand here today proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. All glory goes to him, not to any of us. None of us hold the thimble of the love that he has for us. We need to walk in obedience. Make a decision before you have a choice. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you thanking you for the plan that you put in place before the foundation of the world. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the Father. I know you could have said, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. And you took it all the way to the end. You took it to the cross and then rose victoriously. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing this truth from this word to us this morning. What a beautiful truth this is. So God, I pray for us who are believers that we would catch a hint of revival in our souls this morning, that we want to walk out of here obedience to you, walking in that. And God, if anyone here has not had been cleansed of their sins and put on Jesus at that cross, may they do so today by calling out to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would save their soul, that they, they would trust in what you have done and obey you and love you with all their heart, soul, and mind. We commit the rest of the, the songs to you and the announcements and the offering in prayer. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.